Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This is part one of a three-part message given by Pastor Eric Ludy at the Church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Christophany, a study in the centrality of Jesus Christ, a three-part series. Session number one. The theophonic messenger. Sorry, I don't like to use big terminology to sound impressive and intellectual. Uh, I usually go out of my way to sound idiotic, uh, if anything, to try and communicate the gospel. Theophonic. I will explain it. Do not be intimidated by it. Most of you at least have messenger down. So for right now, just hang on to that word, okay? Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. Hopefully you can at least understand that. Now, isn't that funny? Because if I were to ask you in the terrain of Scripture where Jesus comes in, most of you would say, well, that's the New Testament. You see, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John enunciate his birth, his ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection. Well, there he is, right there. And, you know, that's 1,300 years since Moses began to write the Bible. And so, is that where he starts? Well, did you see the subtitle here? Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. Well, he's not there. He was born just 2,000 years ago. The Bible, I mean, comes back from, uh, what is it? 3,300 years when Moses first put pen to paper or pen to parchment or uh, whatever to parchment. Theophany. So look at our title. It's the Theophonic Messenger. Theophany. Now, I don't want you to trip over these words. I don't want you to be intimidated. By the end of this message, this will be a fairly easy, simple word for you. Basically, in the most simple enunciation of what this means, it's the visible revelation of the invisible God. I'm going to read that twice just so you see if you can wrap your mind around it. The visible revelation of the invisible God. If God's invisible, then then how could he be made visible? Well, that's what a theophany is. A theophany is taking that which is invisible and is unseen and making it seen, which I know might seem strange at first, but that's the entire Bible. When you're reading the Bible, did you know that you're apprehending and seeing something that's unseen? And there's a huge principle in this that you're going to begin to understand. It'll be linked very closely with someone you love and hold very dear to your heart, and his name is Jesus. The invisible God. His memorial name to all generations is Yahweh. Now, you could say it Yahweh. You could say it Jehovah, Yehovah. There's a lot of different names. It all means the same thing. When God was in a burning bush before Moses, and Moses says, who am I to tell them sent me? God speaks, and he gives his proper name, if you will. It's a really strange thing, but he entrusted Moses with the proper name of God. And he says, I am that I am. In the Hebrew, it would be A-A, Asher, A-A. I am that I am. However, these are what are called the four letters or the tetragrammaton. It's the unspeakable name of God. The Jews didn't even speak it, so technically we don't even know how to pronounce those four letters. So most of us today will say Yahweh or Yahweh. Technically, we don't know, which is part of the fun. It's the ineffable name. They did not want to ever speak this name in vain, and so they didn't speak it at all. 
And so the memorial name to all generations is Yahweh. And this God is invisible. No man hath seen God at any time. That's in the New Testament, by the way. Look at that. Not that any man hath seen the Father. John just said it twice. First John, he says it again. No man hath seen God at any time. Now, under the king eternal, immortal, this is Paul writing, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen. Now, if you read the Bible, you're going to have a quizzical eyebrow lift on that and say, wait a minute, what about, uh-huh, that's why we're giving this message, because you're saying, what about, and that's why I'm giving this message, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Oh, what? The invisible God. What, what's this? The visible God. Wait a minute. If he's invisible, then he can't be visible. His memorial name to all generations is Yahweh saves. His name is Jesus. You see, God has been made visible, but in a very strange sense. Do you remember the message on grace? And I said that God is like the invisible hand. You can't see it. And so we are a glove or a work glove. And when we slide on top of that hand, we are perfectly fitted to reveal that which is invisible. And the work glove is us. It is a human being. It is a created being. But that which it slides over is uncreated and invisible. Jesus actually is God, but he came to this earth to function as a work glove, to slide on top of the invisible hand and to make him known. That's what it says in John. Remember, John was the one saying, hey, you haven't seen this guy. No one can see God. And then what does he say? He says, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he hath declared him. The word declared is the concept of revealed, made him known. He made him visible. Jesus has made the invisible visible. Jesus, who is the image or the visible representation of the invisible God. All right, so you have invisible, and now you have visible. Jesus, in the beginning. Now, if I were to say who created the heavens and the earth, the very easy answer is to just quote Genesis 1, 1, and just say God created the heavens and the earth, and you would be right. However, all throughout Scripture, did you know that it clarifies that it was actually the Word of God spoken that created? And all throughout the Old Testament, and the New, we begin to become acquainted with one known as the Word of the Lord, or the Word of Yahweh, the Word of Yahweh, however you want to pronounce it. The Word of Yahweh, that he created the heavens and the earth. In the New Testament, we begin to understand who that Word of Yahweh is. Wait a minute. That's Jesus. And all throughout the New Testament, the writers of the epistles say and make it clear, It's actually Jesus, the word of Yahweh, the word of the Lord that created the heavens and the earth, which would mean he was in the beginning. He wasn't just created 2,000 years ago because he's God. He has no beginning nor ending. He was in the beginning with God. That's what it says. For by him, speaking of Jesus, this is Paul talking in Colossians 1, were all things created. Well, that's strange because I asked you in the beginning, when did Jesus show up in the Bible? Now, some of you already know better than to fall for such a question by me. And you're like, uh uh-huh, Eric's up to something. However, I'm here to try and explain to you that Jesus didn't just appear onto the scene and make God visible in the New Testament. I'm actually going to say that he has been around with God from the beginning. 
So, for by him, Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things, that's a big word, by the way, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him, all things consist. There's a lot of statements I could put in there that put God before creation. God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So how did the invisible God speak to us? He spoke to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, listen to this line, by whom also he made the worlds. How did Yahweh, God the Father, make the worlds? By the Son. Well, that would put the Son a little bit earlier in the chronology in our mind than just 2,000 years ago in a stable in Bethlehem. You follow me? Jesus in the Old Testament. So if Jesus created the heavens and the earth, doesn't it stand to reason that he could also be lingering about in the pages of the Old Testament? A lot of us just think he just appeared. Like God said, you know what? I need to sort of multiply myself. And so as a result, I'm going to beget a son. And he will be born in the womb of a girl named Mary in a little town called Bethlehem. And it makes sense. I'm not saying your logic is bad. I'm just saying it doesn't fit with the entirety of Scripture. You see, the one who was born in Mary is preexistent, and he existed before that womb. He humbled himself to be born into a womb. That is more mind-boggling than anything else. That the God who is over all things, that created all things, he created them for himself even, is literally willing to condescend and become a fetus. That is remarkable. But let's not miss the fact that he was before that immaculate conception. Jesus in the Old Testament. The word of God is creator. So what we see in Psalm 33 is, it says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. The word of God is righteous. So this is God in the Old Testament. Now, if you understand God in the New Testament is Jesus Christ, the revelation of the Father, he has been revealed. Yahweh, God Almighty, has been revealed. The invisible God has been made visible in and through the Son. He has revealed him. He has made him known to us. You understand him to be the word of God and says, for the word of the Lord is right and all his works are done in truth. So look at our little list here. We said the word of God is creator and that fits with the entirety of the New Testament. So Jesus is before all things. Well, also, what do we know about Jesus? He is our righteousness. That is one of the key defining attributes of Jesus. In the Old Testament, it says the word of the Lord or the word of Yahweh is right and all his works are done in truth. And he's also a messenger. There is one who is carrying a message to us. Remember the name of this little subsession? It's the theophonic messenger. It is the one who is bringing about a visible representation of Yahweh. And what it says in the Old Testament is it talks about this messenger. He's known as the word of God. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Then came the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh, to Isaiah. Jeremiah, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah. Who's coming to them? He's a character. It's not just some text. It's a character. It's a person that is coming to the prophets to reveal something. What is it? The word of God. To reveal God's heart, God's intent, God's purposes. He's revealing, ironically, the purposes of the word of God. So the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel. The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the word of the Lord that came to Micah. In the second year of Darius the king came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet. In the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah. The word was and is Jesus. So 
understanding what I just told you now begins to fill in some of the gaps that we have. And when John begins to talk about Jesus, he describes him as that same word. He is using the same understanding, the same terminology, the same words that the writers used in the Old Testament to describe the one that is coming into the prophets, by whom the heavens were made, the word that is righteous and true. He uses that word and he says, in the beginning was the word. He says, you know who I'm talking about, guys? I'm talking about Jesus. In the beginning was that word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. And then here's the kicker. And the word was made flesh, took on a body, and dwelt among us. It's called the incarnation. No longer is it just a visible picture, but now literally God has come and dwelt among us. The angel of the Lord. In the Hebrew, this would be the concept, and my Hebrew isn't tremendous, Malach Yahweh. Okay, now again, I don't want to intimidate you, but that's, that's the angel of the Lord. You remember what this session was called? The theophonic messenger? Uh-huh. That's Malach Yahweh. Ooh, I, got the, I need to put the in there. Malach Yahweh. So Exodus 3. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert. This is after 40 years. Moses has been in the desert in Midian, and he's, been, he's a shepherd. And 40 years are completed. On the first day of the 41st year, this is what happens. And he came to a mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. So let me ask you a question. Who appeared unto him? The angel of the Lord, Malach Yahweh. So it's a messenger of Yahweh. Okay, so it says an angel. Now in your mind, an angel is like some guy with wings that flutters around. However, the word in the Hebrew is not actually talking about the idea of angel as you and I would think of it in the New Testament. It is not an angel, a created being. It is a messenger. That's what the word means. It is one who is a vehicle of revelation of Yahweh. That's actually the concept. It's just hard to translate. Of course, messenger would help us, uh, but angel is the word used. Uh, But put a capital on it and you begin to understand, wait a minute, we're not just talking about some created angel here. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. So who is it that is appearing in a bush? And appearing is a key word. It is visible, that which is actually invisible. It's called the angel of the Lord. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord, that's Yahweh, all caps, saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. Who called out of him out of the bush? God. Well, I thought it was the angel of the Lord that was in the bush. It's God that's in the bush. And said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. And he said, draw not near hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou stands is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon who? God. The angel of the Lord is God. Now, it sounds strange. A messenger of Yahweh is Yahweh himself? How in the world could you be a messenger? I mean, I don't send out a messenger for Eric. I carry my own messages, right? In other words, if I have something to say, I, I say it. Uh, and I don't have a double 
of me that goes out and says my messages for me. It's like, I am Eric Ludi too. And you guys are like, oh, this is weird. What is this? What do we know about Malach Yahweh? He's a distinct character throughout the Old Testament record. In fact, if you study him, this is more than a three-part series to even teach you on this one thing. So I'm having to trim this down to the bare bones. He appeared to Hagar, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Balaam, Gideon, Manoah, Elijah, David, and Zechariah, the angel of the Lord. This messenger of Yahweh, this messenger of the invisible God, made visible in this realm to all of those people, God. And he was referred to in those situations, not just as an angel that flutters around as a created being, but as God. So in the Old Testament, the angel or the messenger of Yahweh is God. Is God. He's not a created angel, but is in fact God. Now listen to this scripture in Hosea. Extremely interesting. In the womb, he, Jacob, took his brother by the heel, and in his maturity, he contended with God. Now, if you go back to that Genesis account where Jacob wrestled with an angel, that's what it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, and he grabbed a hold of him and wrestled with him through the night. So who did Jacob grab a hold of? Well, the angel of the Lord. What does Hosea say? He contended with God. And of course, later in that same account, it says that he has seen the face of God, and he named it Peniel, the face of God. So we know that that angel of the Lord was God. However, it was called the angel of the Lord. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wrestled with the messenger, with with the malach, and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He found him, who? who? Uh, The angel. He found him at Bethel, and there he spoke with us, even the Lord. So who spoke? The angel of the Lord spoke, but who spoke? Yahweh. The God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. The angel of the Lord, what's his memorial name? Yahweh. All right, wait a minute. Aren't we talking about two different people? One's invisible and the other one's revealing him. He's a visible enunciation of that which is otherwise invisible. And David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord. Now, it's sort of hard to see something that's invisible. I don't know, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Invisible to me means unable to be seen. And yet, what is this? This is called the theophonic messenger. This is the angel of the Lord. God, who is invisible, has been revealed. How how does this work? What is a malach? It's a messenger, a carrier, a vehicle of revelation. Behold, I will send my malach, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the malach of the covenant. Whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. All throughout the Old Testament, we have this messenger, this malach that has come, that has revealed God. And at the very end of Malachi, before the 400 years of silence begins, this final prophecy, there is a messenger who will come, who will prepare the way. Very likely, we understand that man is John the Baptist. He's a malach. He's a messenger. And who did he point to? He pointed to the malach of the covenant, the one who would reveal Yahweh. John the Baptist revealed that this man, though he be the son of Mary and Joseph and grew up in in Nazareth, he in fact was the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. And then that Lamb of God was the messenger of the covenant. He was the Moloch. He's the vehicle of revelation. In him was revealed the invisible God. What is this Moloch revealing? 
Well, I mean, if you're Malach Yahweh, what do you think you're revealing? The messenger of Yahweh? You're revealing Yahweh. You're revealing the invisible God. You're revealing the one who was and is and is to come. That's what you're revealing. But I thought he was Yahweh. That's a good question. I like how you're thinking. Yes, he is Yahweh. But more specifically, he's Malach Yahweh. Malach Yahweh, sorry to have this Hebrew in this intensive all throughout our message, is in fact God. Now, this is a statement that we understand in the New Testament when we're talking about the Nicene Creed of who Jesus Christ is. But in the Old Testament, we're saying Malach Yahweh is in fact God. He is one with God. He is in substance very God of very God. But he is God being sent forth from God, condescending to be clothed and manifest in the visible earth and realm and become obedient unto God in order to reveal the image of the invisible God to those who walk in darkness. Welcome to Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is the revelation of the invisible God unto a people walking in darkness. The Old Testament is a light that is shining. It is not a perfectly bright and full light, but it is a light that is shining. It is revealing the sinfulness of men. The law of God is given that it may reveal their need for a Savior. Theophany. So here's our word again. The visible revelation of the invisible God. So how do we build this word? Theos in the Greek means God. So we have phani, It means the appearance, manifestation, or revelation. So put them together. We have theos plus phani equals theophany. God revealed. Listen to this. This is so profound when you think of who Jesus Christ is. God revealed. God made clear. God appearing. God comprehended. God realized. How do we know God? Get this. Through his word. That's how we know the invisible God. Through his word. Now, more specifically, how do we know God? Through his word made flesh, Jesus Christ. But they're both true. Through the word manifest in the text, which we know as scripture, and through the word manifest in body, which we know as Jesus Christ, both are true. Both are a visible enunciation of something which is invisible. And it enables us to wrap our minds around and have a revelation, a clarity, an appearing, a comprehension, and a realization of who this invisible God is. The invisible hand has been clothed. And that clothing, actually, wherever it moves, is showing the movement of that which is invisible. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared. He hath revealed him. Epiphany. You ever heard that word? It's one of those good words, like when you have an awakening in your soul, it's like, oh, I see for the first time. When you come unto Jesus Christ, typically it's called an epiphany. Now, uh, you have epa. Have you ever heard of epidermis? Like I remember growing up in school, we'd say your epidermis is showing. And people would be like, and they'd check all around. And that just means your outer skin, okay? So just in case you're wondering, if I come up to you afterwards and joke and say, your epidermis is showing, at least you can play it off and go, oh, no. Uh, It means above, on, over, nearby, upon, outer. An epiphany is something that from the outside awakens something that's on the inside. In other words, you cannot awaken yourself. You must have an epiphany, something from the outer realm that touches you, changes you, and alters you to see. So it's an experience of sudden and striking realization. It's a realization that Christ is the Son of God. That's actually, throughout history, what an epiphany has been. Christ is, in fact, 
the Son of God, and that's the great epiphany. Now, all sorts of other religions have claimed this word as well. However, in the most basic sense, that which is outer to us, that which truly we have needed to save us has been revealed to our soul, and we were awakened, and we had an epiphany. A moment in which you suddenly see or understand something in a new or very clear way. The all-important epiphany. So I want to give you an epiphany this morning. I can't really do it, but I at least want to set up the stage for it. An epiphany. That the theophany was, in actuality, a Christophany. Well, there's the name of our whole series. Christophany. You see, it's not just that God, the invisible God, has been revealed. But that all of the Bible, the Word of God, is revealing something. It's revealing the mechanism by which you will see the Father, and that is the Son. He is the Word of God. The Word of God can be summed up in a singular name, Jesus. Old New Testament, it's all about Him. His life is the centerpiece of it. The Word of God is Christ. He then, when He came to this earth, animated it on two feet with two hands, two eyes and a mouth, and he walked, and he lived amongst us. He has come, and he has animated out the word of God that we may see that which is invisible. And then the New Testament is written. And so we have an old and a new, and it enunciates the same exact thing, Jesus. And what does Jesus show us? He reveals the invisible. The way you will know the Father is by apprehending and comprehending the Son. When you see the Son and you believe in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And where does Jesus bring you? To the Father. Who's the one awakening you and showing you Jesus? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's work is to bring from that which is, is, the, is the Son's, the Word of God, and bring it to us and awaken us to it so that we would see the Son. And when we see the Son, the Son brings us to the Father. This is how the Trinity works together. So the theophany was in actuality a Christophany. All those pictures of God in the Old Testament, the visible manifestation of God in, his, in their basic understanding, they weren't just a picture of God. They were a picture of Jesus. They were a picture of God the Son. They were a picture of God that saves. God that actually is the arm of revelation. Christophany. Seeing Jesus in the Bible. So all of this, I've had to teach you a lot of words so far. Seeing Jesus in the Bible. It's a Christophany. Do you see it? It's Jesus. It's a visible representation of the invisible. The word of God itself in text is a Christophany. The whole thing. Old and New Testament. I see Jesus. You're seeing something that is invisible. You're seeing something that has been revealed to you. The spirit of God is awakening you and giving you an epiphany so that you would see, so that you would know. It's him. It's God. God in the flesh. He has come. He has done it. God in the text. He has promised and he cannot lie. Seeing Jesus in the Bible, seeing him here, seeing him there, seeing him everywhere. And not just in the symbols such as the Ark of Noah. If any of you ever looked at the Ark of Noah and said, that's Jesus. It is. Unless you enter into the Ark, when judgment comes, you will be destroyed. That's Jesus. The manna, the bread that comes down from heaven. Wait a minute. That was Jesus. The rock in the wilderness. Wait a minute. The tabernacle, the high priest, the temple, tear down this temple, says Jesus, now rebuild it in three days. But the temple of which he spoke was his body. Wait a minute. He's the temple. The king of Israel, but in the themes, the circumstances, the characters, the stories, the literary styles, everything in the Bible points to him. 
themes, circumstances, characters, stories, literary styles. He is the histories of Israel reenacted in a singular human life. The law of God incarnate. The Proverbs come to life. The prophecies fulfilled. Simply put, he is the word of God made flesh. He is all of that on two feet, living and breathing in a human body. Whoa! The mystery of the Christophany. Sounds a little poetic. First of all, he is. One of the statements, and I didn't have time to go through this uh, for us because we need to move quickly through this message. But Jesus himself said, I am. That's what he said. And the Jews called it blasphemy. Why? Because he was declaring that he was, in fact, Yahweh. He was declaring that he was one with the Father. He was, in fact, very God of very God. And they called it blasphemy. But unless you believe that he is, you can have no part with him. In other words, this is the basis of belief. He is, and this is the great revelation of the Christophany. This is what is revealed throughout Scripture. He is. He is before Abraham. Well, that's sort of strange. I thought he was born just 2,000 years ago. He himself says, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And then he gives the unspeakable name, who was, who is, and is to come. Yeah, if he created the heavens and the earth, I think it makes sense. He was before Abraham. He is creator. He has always been there. He is the word spoken by the Father in order to reveal the Father. That was him. This is one of the great statements that you will begin to awaken to in your life when you have the epiphany. Wait a minute. That was him. The one that you know and love. The one that you pray in his name unto the Father. The one who has died for you. You read the Old Testament you begin to say, wait a minute. That was him. Yeah, I, I've been here all, all along. He didn't just appear 2,000 years ago. He is. The entire Old Testament was a schoolmaster which brought us to him. You see, the law prepared us. The Old Covenant prepared us for a Savior. And yet, who was the one even bringing the word that was even bringing the Old Covenant? It was him. Leading us to him. He is the entire Old Testament in physical, visible form. He is both a character in the Old Testament as well as the physical fulfillment of the entirety of the Old Testament. It's all about him. It all leads to him. It is all fulfilled in him. He is the creator of the locked gate as well as the given key that unlocks it. There is a new Jerusalem, and unless you are inside of it, you are outside. That is the safe place. It's his presence. And yet, You check it, the gates are locked. Why? Because only perfect righteousness can dwell there. He created this city. He's the the architect and he's the builder of it. His name is God. He built the gate and it's locked. He built that locked gate as our protection to say, you can't get in, can you? Try, because unless you do, you have no part with me. Can you get in? You can't. But he was also the given key that unlocks it. He's the one that has revealed to us our need for him. You wouldn't know your need of a key if that gate wasn't there. You see, he didn't have to communicate with us. He didn't have to reveal himself to us. He could have just let us die. Instead, he revealed to us the city that was locked. And he said, you were built to live inside of it. He didn't have to show us that. He could have just let us die. Instead, he revealed to us our need. Why? so that he could meet it. Jesus is the key to unlock the mystery of the Old Testament. The Hebrew Bible, 
It's a replica of our Old Testament, but it's 24 books instead of 39. So if you count up the books in, in our Bible, it has 39 books in the Old Testament. It ends with Malachi. It starts with Genesis, ends with Malachi. And yet the Hebrew Bible is the exact same as ours, don't get me wrong, but it has 24 books. And let me do the math for you on this. Explaining the discrepancy of 15 books. First and second Kings are just one book, so that shaves off one right there. First and second Samuel are just one book, shaves off another. First and second Chronicles are just one book, and this is in the Hebrew Bible. Ezra and Nehemiah are just one book, and the 12 minor prophets are just one book. They're called the Treasar, and so that shaves off 11 right there. Whew. So total difference, 15. 39 minus 15 is 24. That's how the Hebrew Bible is different, but it's the same. So a lot of people get confused in that. I'm just here to tell you it's the same Bible. It's just divided differently. So when you use the number 24 to a Hebrew, it means something. You follow me? To us, it doesn't have a significance because we have 39 books in the Old Testament. The 24 witnesses. The 24 that received the revelation. Where is the revelation of the Messiah given? How will we recognize him? Not based on feeling and intuition, but based on the clearly revealed word of God. That's how we will know him. And there's 24 witnesses. They're called the Old Testament. So the 24 that received the revelation. So here we are. The book is even called Revelation. And it's Revelation 4. And it says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one that sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow around about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne, listen to this, were four and twenty seats. By the way, that means twenty-four. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, twenty-four elders, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So we have a throne, and we have twenty-four seats around it. Revelation 5. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. A book. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? It's locked. One of the things you'll begin to realize as we progress through this message is the Old Testament actually is a mystery. It doesn't actually make sense until you have the key that unlocks it. You started most likely with the New Testament. And as a result, and probably carried around a New Testament Bible, and you, know, you look at the Old Testament, it's like, oh, that's you know, ancient and not necessary anymore. However, the New Testament only has credibility because it perfectly fulfilled uh, the Old Testament. That's its credibility. Jesus had to match something. It was the test of the Old Covenant. If he didn't match it perfectly, he's not your Messiah. And so I saw on the right hymn of him that sat on the throne a book written within and without the, uh, on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereupon. There is no man that can possibly do the work that is necessary to unlock this book. This book that God holds in his hand, in his right hand, this book is incomprehensible. It is not able to be understood. It is not able to be unlocked. Its seals are guarded. Is there one who can open it? And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders, one of the 24, said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. 
And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. What are the 24 elders seeing? What is John witnessing? They see something in the midst of the throne. What do they see? They see a lamb. One, a lamb as if he were slain. Do you want me to ask you the question, who is that lamb? That's Jesus. And he came and took the book. So the lamb came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, listen to their song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. Why? For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. There is one who can open the book. One. Without that one, the book cannot be opened. The 24 are witnesses to this. And even John, who's in the new covenant, is saying, oh, can one open it? And it's one of the 24 that says, look, there is one. There is a promise. And he will bring light. He will be a light unto us. He will be able to open the book. Do you see the lamb? He can do it. The building of the 24 elders, setting up the seats around the throne. The 24 elders, what do we know about them? Now, if we were to liken those 24 elders to the 24 books of the Old Testament, they're all witnesses. They're all what we could call the word of God. They are living testimonies of one we know as the Messiah in the New Testament. Everything in them points to him. They are a circle around a throne, all staring at the same thing, but they all have a different vantage point. They saw it. They witnessed Jehovah's nature, Jehovah's plan. They bore witness to Jehovah's word. They wrote it down in a book, carried along by the Holy Spirit. God sealed their words as his very own. God preserved their words inviolable, unchanging, allowing their humble jots and tittles to bear witness of his glory. Moses was the first witness. The chair is set up. His authority established before all of Israel with the budding of the rod of Aaron in the tabernacle of witness. And he began writing a book. God commanded him to write a book. Write this down as a memorial in a book. And the Bible began. A book that bore witness to the perfect righteousness of God. Joshua was the second witness. First witness, Moses. Who's the second witness? Joshua, the same name for Jesus. You might want to hold on to that. The seats were built by God surrounding his throne so that every angle of his glory might be made clear that a man was chosen, then a man was chosen to see. And when he saw, he wrote it down. Each book bearing witness, each book seeing the same thing. What do you see, Moses? What do you see, Joshua? What do you see, O writers of the Old Testament? Uh, It's hard to make out, but I see a lamb. A lamb in the midst of the throne. He appears as if he's slain. It's sort of hard to explain. Each book seeing the same thing, a lamb as if slain in the midst of a throne. Each book seeing it from a different vantage, but seeing the same fire, the same rainbow, the same crystal sea, the same throng, the same glory. The witness of Judges, the witness of Ruth, the witness of Samuel, the witness of Kings, the witness of Chronicles, the witness of Ezra and Nehemiah, the witness of Esther, the witness of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and the Treasar, the 12. 24 elders, 24 that saw it. 24 that testify of a lamb and his inexplicable sufferings. 24 that witness this one's glory. 24 that can say, don't weep, John, for there is indeed one who can open the seals of the book that is sealed. 
The 24 have seen, they bear witness and now they wait. For century after century they wait, longing to see what they have witnessed beforehand made manifest, longing to see the seals of the book unlocked, the gates opened, that they along with all the others who have believed the words of this prophecy may enter into the city whose foundation is God. Then, after the last witness, the Treasar has taken its seat about the throne and silence has reigned for 400 years. Suddenly, he comes. Oh, I can't wait to continue this message. Thank you so much for listening to part one of this three-part message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the Church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates his set-apart life within you.